Hello, everybody, and welcome to What's On Draft, a podcast where we each draft five picks uh, from a prompt we've written from books, music, movies, TV shows, or anything else in the universe. And you, the listener, tell us whose picks are the lasagna to your Garfield. My name is Paul, and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Michael. Mike, how's it going? I feel like we're missing a third wheel tonight. Mm-hmm. We're missing our uh, our normal to <laughs> our garfield and and otis <laughs> we're just we're just a bicycle instead of a tricycle tonight that's right cameron not in uh cameron famously hates newspapers so didn't want to didn't want to uh appear in this episode because he said it would just be giving in to big newspaper well w- when we talked about this draft and it was uh it was thrown out there that we'd be kind of putting this thing together as if it was our own newspaper. I thought about, huh, okay. So if we were all billionaires and we're able to own our own papers, like the Washington post, we could draft our own elite list of cartoonists here. So maybe Cameron just wasn't up for that or is it not about the, not about the billionaire life. No, he's much more into pirate cartoonists that uh, don't sell out to the man, to our billionaire (laughs) newspaper (laughs) companies. Uh, Yes, listeners, uh, today, of course, is a huge, huge holiday, massive celebrations happening across the country. And by giant holiday, I, of course, mean National Cartoonist Day. So uh, we were looking ahead at the calendar, looking at things coming up that we could theme a draft around, realized that we were going to be releasing an episode on National Cartoonist Day um, and said, you know what? There's a lot of newspaper cartoon strips out there. Why don't we draft them and their cartoonists uh, and set up sort of our own newspaper comics page? I would say go out and find your favorite cartoonist and you know, give them a high five, but they're probably slaving away in a closet somewhere making their strip. So good luck finding one. Yes. If you can, uh, since today is also uh, Cinco de Mayo, buy them a nice margarita and have it delivered to their studio. (laughs) That could make for an interesting comic strip. Just load them up on margaritas and see what comes out. And the thing is, uh, given the schedule that newspaper comics, you know, happen on, it would come out like two months later down the road or mm-hmm. something. So they would be very confused when it was time for that one to appear in the strip. That's accurate. I was listening to a cartoonist that uh, finally got a something published in the New Yorker, and he had told his dad because he was so proud about finally getting it, and he's like, I, "I sold, I sold the cartoon finally." He had been sending in cartoon after cartoon for years and just getting rejected. So he finally sold one. And like you said, the delay is, is a long time before when it actually comes out. And so his dad kept buying the magazine thinking that it would be published. And unfortunately (laughs) the father passed away before it was published. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, I, I only know because you'll every once in a while see a joke in a comic strip that is very clearly referencing something that was like in pop culture, but two and a half months previously. 
right? Like it'll be, some things will be kind of timed, like, okay, the presidential election's coming out. We're going to have a strip that touches on that somehow. Uh, but every once in a while, you'll see something that becomes like a big meme or something like that, that everyone's talking about online. And then two months later, there will be, you know, some sort of Hagar the Horrible comic strip <laughs> that uses that as a punchline. And you're just like, okay, I know when you wrote this strip, <laughs> it was not recently. <laughs> I looked up the artist's name and it is, uh, it's David Cypress. And it took him 25 years to get his cartoon published in the New Yorker. Well, I mean, I'm sure we can get into this as we go. But, uh, you know, if you look at the strips that are being published, if something is successful, newspapers are going to run with it mm -hmm. for a long time. And some of the stuff that's in syndication, even if the artist isn't making any new ones, you have four decades worth of a comic strip sometimes they'll just go back to the start and just loop it you know run it continuously right so it's just not a lot of space for new um new things to be published not within the newspaper realm anyway that's true there there is a lot of online comic mm -hmm. strips um and i don't know if we want to include those in our draft i mean they're still cartoonists so I think we could. I just yeah. think that we're going to limit the audience that's familiar with them. This is I true. Keep, I keep getting ads for webtoons on Instagram, and that's it's a, a cool platform. I, I've looked at some of their cartoons that they've published, but I think that a lot of people are just publishing for free. Mm, yeah. And so, uh, you know, as someone that that practiced a long time and put a lot of work into it. It's kind of sad to just put your stuff out there for free. Right. Especially because then it just probably gets copied and spread mm. everywhere for, you know, uh, everyone to sort of use and mm -hmm. meme or whatever for free. Yeah, definitely not. This is kind of the same discussion though we had about American sitcoms. You had said how, if you look at our showrun link, you know, they could run two decades, but you compare them with like the British shows and they'll have mm -hmm. like a, a mini series or a one or a two season. Right. And probably a similar ratio of shows being pitched to shows successfully making it to the air mm -hmm. um, or even just pilots filmed and then shows making it to the air. Just a lot of creative effort put into stuff. And then we get you know, uh, we get more than we ever did at this point with streaming channels, but um, probably still, I don't know, like 5% or whatever of creative output is making it to actually becoming something. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, if it's just the two of us, then we need to uh, fall back on the old coin flip. Do you have one handy or should I bring up the old digital? I happen to have a penny here. Oh, all right. And it isn't. Is it? It's a dirty penny. So <laughs> that out. might impact I, the the flight in the air. I, I can figure out, you know, which side's heads, but the backside is covered. <laughs> I can't tell what's actually printed on it. But anyway, uh, I will flip it and you call it. All right, let's go. Tails. Tails, it is. Tails it is. I, I do much better with the analog coin flipping than the digital coin flipping. <laughs> so I will take the first pick then. 
Um, and we'll just see how the conversation goes. Um, I mean, typically with the two-person draft, we aim for around seven because that gets us close to a normal episode's worth of draft picks. So we'll see how we're feeling about how many um, strips there are. So number one pick here for me um, is, uh, so we sort of pitched it as drafting the actual cartoonists. Uh, but probably a little easier if we call out the strip, you know, most newspaper cartoonists in particular um, are just doing a, a one strip and they work on that for years and years. Um, so I try to sort of divide my draft, you know, my draft prep into thinking about what categories there are of comic strips. And uh, the ones that people are most familiar with are what I kind of tag as like the big, you know, Hall of Fame, like legacy strips, the ones that have the most name recognition. Uh, but I think of those ones, there's two that are near the top of my list. And I'm going to go with the one that's probably the most um, unique in tone out of sort of the legacy ones and uh, is not as um emotional or i guess touching as some of the other ones but strictly humor but i really enjoy the brand of humor and that is going to be gary larson's the far side comic strip here oh this is what i had queued up for number one there you go yeah it was between two for me and i felt like i needed to just get this one uh, off the board so yeah this the single panel and then um always just so much humor packed into that uh, going to be helpful for my newspaper, too, in terms of the layout, right? If I want to get some longer comic strips going later, I've got just the old single panel far side to fit in there. But um, just always such good offbeat, uh, you know, some sort of absurdist humor going on. Um, and there are so many of these that I see um, just referenced online. Like there's one where it's a school and there's a door that says pull and there's a student just pushing on it. And that's basically all the panel is, but it, that's such a good, it's like a simple, clear joke. And you can reference it in terms of anytime you see someone sort of just pushing against, do, try to do something the wrong way and struggling with it so much. It's be like, bam, here's a, here's a topical reference for that one. Um, so there's a lot of that. It's similar to say, like a Seinfeld, you can quote it in a lot of situations. I feel like there's a far side comic for a lot. And so, um, yeah, taking this one just because, again, it's it's I feel like it's unique in tone compared to a lot of the other options. They can cover a lot of kind of absurdist humor and things that are outside the realm since they're not locked down to characters that they're using the same mm-hmm. week, after week after week. So uh you you've got a wide variety of things that you can do with this one single panel comic right yeah i mean they they frequently have you know a a cow as a character frequently or they have some animals that they return to but you're right it's often um often totally different each time so all right well that is my pick if that's off the table for your number one pick what are you going to take as your actual number one pick here this one it's it's, I think I'm going to take a comic that has been referenced in style a lot. I've seen it uh, used by t-shirt artists 
and <laughs> they imitate it. Uh, the pairing of these characters, you can cover a lot of fun adventures and nostalgia and serious things when you've got an imaginary friend with you. I'm going to take Calvin and Hobbes from Bill Watterson. And this is a strip that ran, uh, it was syndicated from November of 85 until December of 95. And there, there are uh, documentaries out there about Watterson. It's just kind of an interesting set of characters here. And I feel like uh, adults reading it are going to get a much different feel out of it than kids looking at just this boy with his tiger. Yeah, this was uh, the other one that I would have gone with. So I think we're very chalk here in the first round in terms of what's coming off the board. This one is the one I, you know, I said Farsight is just straight humor. Calvin and Hobbes has the humor, but also has uh, just some like, you know, moments of insight on humanity and things like that that are mm-hmm. um, touching and uh, more depth that you can kind of get out of it rather than just the humor side of things and i think probably in terms of just straight quality i would put calvin and Hobbes at the top um if you combine artwork plus storytelling plus everything else um and just interesting right that waterson had this huge hit and then stopped it earlier than a lot of people stopped comic strips and then just has been out of the public eye basically since then um just a pretty interesting uh interesting way to go for him so um yeah this one was definitely this was the one b to my one a on the list here all right so since there's just two of us we are not snake drafting drafting tonight correct uh yes yeah i think for this one we have we did the snake draft i think once for was it the maybe when we did the the tailgating one because we felt like, or there was one where we felt like there was a pretty big advantage to having the number one pick. So we still snake draft it. Um, but I don't mind if you want to just do one, two, one, two all night. That's all right. Let's do that then. Okay. So looking at the next one, uh, I guess I want to just fill in with another sort of legacy strip. Now, a lot of the longer running strips are just not as enjoyable to me because and i think it's just because a lot of them i don't have as much nostalgia wrapped up in um whereas people who probably still read say like the family circus a lot i think uh, might feel a little bit more nostalgia for it than i do or something so uh, i'm gonna just fill in with another legacy one here um, that i probably enjoy more than the other ones and go peanuts Mm mm-hmm So Peanuts with the big cast of characters, of course, by Charles Schultz. This is one that, you know, it's, it's, and it probably wrapped up in how they've spread out into the movies and things. And so you get used to watching uh, Peanuts around Christmas and Halloween. And so you're, um, there's traditions built up around Peanuts outside of the actual comic strip itself, but has the good long running gags in the comic strips, like Lucy pulling the football and, um snoopy being the the uh, air you know the the air pilot in world war ii and things like that that um are just nice comforting like okay i know the rhythm of 
what's happening in this joke, but I enjoy it because I enjoy the characters and the, the setting and everything else. So um, of the ones that are like the big, uh, you know, that I would, I would say are kind of like the hall of fame. Everyone knows it comic strips. I think uh, this is the one remaining that I would say I'm a fan of reading uh, compared to a bunch of the other ones. This is one of those that is such a strong nostalgia pick for so many people because it started a long long time ago now in in terms of of comic strips that are still Mm -hmm. uh, syndication and it's jumped into different media a lot of these always are stuck in the newspaper realm but uh, we get to see peanuts movies in 2d and 3d animation now Mm -hmm. so that's that's uh, there's something about these characters that people love. And I think that having a, a main character like Charlie Brown, that is not, he's just a normal guy and doesn't have a whole lot going for him. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's something heartwarming about following his misadventures and seeing that he doesn't necessarily uh, have everything turn out the best but he kind of maintains a positive outlook so yeah the peanut you you mentioned they're still making the movies so the most recent peanuts movie came out in 2015 it's okay <laughs> i've watched it it's not you know it's just it has that nostalgia but nothing to to sort of write home about but interesting thing i'm just looking at the imdb charlie brown is voiced by noah schnapp uh, of Stranger Things. So this would have been one year before he um, was Will Byers in Stranger Things. So just prior to hitting the big time, he was Charlie Brown. That's incredible. And the voice of the teacher, which of course in the Peanuts world is wah, wah, wah. Uh, the the credit is listed to trombone shorty you are kidding me nope on the imdb trombone shorty okay so Um, that's that's just (laughs) mind-blowing fortunate enough to see trombone shorty in person so you saw the teacher from the peanuts oh my god (laughs) yeah listeners if you're not familiar with trombone shorty uh check out his work he has some fantastic albums yeah. And fantastic live as well uh, has has kind of got the circular breathing thing down, mm-hmm. similar to Kenny G. And and uh, I just remember him playing a riff and just going on it, and it it was way longer than <laughs> would have normally been able to hold it, but it was uh, very impressive. Yeah, listeners, we do the same thing uh, on all of our episodes, which is why all of our episodes are just slightly too long. It's because we do the circular breathing and we can just keep on talking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, what are you going to go with here for your second round pick? I've got one that, that just came to me. I don't want it to come off the board, but at the same time, I don't think you're going to pick it next. So I'm going to hold off on it. Okay. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to go with, my version of Charlie Brown. This is one of my favorite comic strips. I, I don't get the newspaper, but you know, growing up, I enjoyed this one a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the Born Loser 
And for the same reasons as I like Charlie Brown, I like The Born Loser, hilarious most of the time and very relatable. Uh, if y'all haven't read it, it's, it's, from my understanding, it's, you know, a retired couple, right? Uh, I'm just looking it up. So it, it's, but it's all credited to Chip Sansom, unless that is the person, unless somebody took over. So that's one thing. I mean, we mentioned that we were talking a little in pre-production. That's one thing. Um, oh, by art. Okay. By art and Chip Sansom. I thought it said, I thought it was saying the words art. and art were by Chip Sansom, but it's two people, yeah. art and Chip Sansom. Anyway, what I, you know, as I was saying, it's interesting that there have been some strips that ran for decades and then um, were uh, the, the author retired and then it was taken over by someone else. So it looks like, um, so this one is Art Sansom from 65 to 91 and then Chip Sansom. So I'm assuming this is a father and son. Yes, hmm. his son uh, started, started on the strip in 89 and then is still today the main person doing the strip. So um, yes, this is one that um, I, uh, I, yeah. What's the name of the, the the main character in this one? Do you recall? Because it's very. I mean, I know the strip. I can't remember his name, but he's very recognizable as a cartoon character. I think if you, if anyone saw him, if you read newspaper comics at all, if you see him, you might not remember the title the born loser but you recognize him um big big nose bald with one tiny strand of hair coming out the top and then sort of an oblong head with a, with a very tiny mouth he's <laughs> very distinct it says that the Sam sansoms won the 1987 national cartoonist society humor comic strip award and the oh. 1990 newspaper comic strip award interesting so I, I think I was uh, I was thinking that they're grandparents, but looking at some of the artwork now, I think it's him relating all of this to his son in the comic strip. Hmm. I think it's their kid, and it it's you know it's one of those things where it's like, does a kid realize how, how many problems this this poor man has, uh, and you know it's it's a look into his future mm -hmm. really really great that the the writing and cartooning has been handed over to the son in real life uh, mm -hmm. that just very, makes it all the better very topical yes mm -hmm. uh, many strips uh revolve around him and his wife uh sort of barbing at each other um, mm -hmm. so that's uh his wife who is is taller than him in the strip often makes jokes about that so i'm just clicking through some here and there's one where he says i hear otherwise refer to their husbands as their significant other do you refer to me in that way and she says actually i refer to you as my insignificant other and then he looks directly at the camera in the last panel with the, uh, <laughs> with the that's, downtrodden that's, look yeah just breaking the fourth wall in the yeah. in a short comic strip that's pretty funny i found one here that has hardly any words at all and it's like he's imagining that he is superman and he's going into the booth changing 
and he starts to say up, up and away and slips on a banana peel and just mm-hmm. crashes. Mm-hmm. So something as simple as that. Good old, just shows you kind of, good old pratfall comedy. In yeah. The newspaper. Our, our girls are really in the stage where they enjoy some pratfall comedy. And uh, I forget what we were watching, but it was something where somebody was slipping and basically getting hit in the face repeatedly in whatever scene it was. And <laughs> our like our four-year-old could barely breathe. She was just laughing so so hard at this so it's just it's ingrained in yeah. people to enjoy watching somebody get uh hurt badly the the schadenfreude is real yes yep so you you gotta worry about them at that age trying to imitate the behavior though <laughs> yes like, your your coordination uh i want you to be able to do this without hurting yourself right yep <laughs> No, you cannot roll down the stairs like somebody in a like a stunt a stunt double in whatever movie you just watched. Mm-hmm. Luckily, Thank- our kids are also fairly cautious. So okay, yeah, good. I was gonna say, thankfully, I did not attempt a lot of the the visual gags that I saw in cartoons as a small child. I think I think Jake once jumped off a roof because he was wearing a cape. I think that's yep. yeah. Okay. So- Stuff like that. that. It does happen. It does happen. All right. Well, back into the third round then. And uh, I'm kind of wanting to move away from the big strips and go with something a little more modern. So this was something we talked about pre-production wise, which is the newspaper comic strip industry in particular is predominantly uh, dominated by white males would be the demographic um that's doing most of these strips especially the ones that have been in syndication forever uh but with newer strips there are a few who have broken the mold um and so i want to make sure i get a little bit of diversity on my team here and so i'm gonna go with a strip that started running in 96 went to the mid 2000s and then also became um, a very well-known television show uh, and the artist of the strip also did the, all the work on the television show, directed and ran the show and everything. So the cartoonist is Aaron Magruder, and the strip is The Boondocks. So in some research here, that came up, and I did not even know it was a strip before it was on Adult Swim. I had no idea it started out in the papers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's probably best uh, known at this point as the show but i do remember um this was one that uh, i saw in the comic strips and it's very different um artistically from a lot of the other strips right it's sort of um a little more minimalist maybe than some of the other ones so it's very the characters are front and center and so if you look at the sort of the weekly strips, right? So the, the Sunday strip is usually larger and in color. Um, a lot of the, the weekly strips, it's just the characters in front of a black background or maybe there's, or, or sorry, a white background. And maybe there's like one tree in the back or something is breaking up the setting. But predominantly, it's just the characters interacting with themselves. Um, and so one that um, I, I think it was uh, considered... Um, 
and the show was like somewhat controversial but i think it was mostly controversial in that it was just different (laughs) um i don't remember what exactly people were ever upset about other than like you know oh it's it's not the exact same as all the other comic strips and therefore if they're referencing something a little risque or something like that but within the show they'd get into some crazy stuff yes yeah i I remember uh did you see the episode with the the bob ross figure i did not know that was wild they had this character that was you know soft-spoken art teacher like bob ross but then Mm -hmm. was actually just (laughs) insane (laughs) they go into this crazy action sequence but it also um you know i'm just trying to think of like the major comic strips and not only are they predominantly drawn by white males they also predominantly feature white males right um so main character point of view is often um, a white male and i'm trying to think of other strips that like are about a family i mean there's a there's at least one other one i can think of that's about um a black family and i'm drawing a blank on if there's any big ones that feature any other ethnicity other than you know like i don't think there's like and i i'm sure somewhere there's a major hispanic comic strip but not one that is featured in most newspapers in the u.s that i'm aware of and so um yeah something that in terms of what's in broad syndication and what's in most newspaper needs some more diversity applied to it um so i wanted to grab one of the ones that is still running a lot of papers this is a, a a great pick that again i didn't even realize started out as a comic strip all right well that's my third round pick what do you have on the board for us well i had had uh, done some research and came across the comic curtis which uh, i don't recall seeing in our local newspaper but the art style it's it's very fun and uh, has a lot of curvy lines, and it's kind of what you would see, I think, in the the '60s and '70s cartoons. And it is uh, by a black author as well, Ray Billingsley. And this article that I'm looking at, I'm trying to see what year the article's from. Oh, this was published in 22. Okay, so uh, this cartoon has been running 33 years. So very, very long run. And Billingsley has won the National Cartoonist Society Award for Cartoonist of the Year. And uh, this, this comic strip features a Black family. And so we were talking about representation. This is an excellent one. Yeah, this was the other one that I was thinking of when I said there's at least one other strip that features a black family this was the mm-hmm. second one um and i'm only familiar with it I, you're right i don't think it ran in the papers around here so i'm only familiar with it because um there's a blog site that i read that i, I was telling you about earlier called the comics curmudgeon mm-hmm. josh Furlinger is the guy who runs it um and he'll just comment on strips each day so he doesn't do all of them but you know whatever three or four he has a, a joke about or something he'll bring up um, and he'll uh, frequently poke fun at, at Curtis. A lot of the longer running strips 
Um, they just settle into the same types of jokes over time. And so he's, he's great because he can build sort of layers on top of what they're doing. And it's, uh, I, I really recommend the site. It's pretty funny, but yeah, it, a lot of it features um, Curtis's dad sort of not understanding the culture of the youths and being confused about it, um, which doesn't really line up with uh, his sort of canonical age in the strip, but he acts like a boomer. Um, even though I think he should be solidly Gen X, but he'll complain about technology and stuff and um, uh, get onto it. But also um, the only strip that um, features an annual Kwanzaa storyline. So they always do like a Kwan, like a week long Kwanzaa special or something in the strip, um, sometimes longer, but um, yeah, they'll always have a, a Kwanzaa celebration in the Curtis strip. That's awesome. So yeah, there you go. One thing I noticed about the main character's outfit there with like the white shirt and the red sweater over it, it reminded me of Fat Albert. Mm-hmm. It does have a very similar vibe to that, I feel like, in the art style. I wonder if it's a nod to that. Because 33 years, yeah, I mean, Fat Albert would have come out well before this. All right. Yeah, that's uh, that's it. I think we've... <laughs> we've uh, uh, at least as far as I'm aware, we've now used up a lot of the diversity available in the newspaper comic strip publishing world. Um, the article I found that talked about Billingsley, it's, uh, it mentions three previous Black authors that came before him okay. that, that uh, made it into syndication. And so uh, okay. I, I'll... I, if if we don't end up picking those, I can uh, you'll, relay yeah, them. Yeah, you'll read them out. Okay, interesting. Um, and I, you know, I should mention we you know we said maybe we'd get into web comics and things like that. Obviously, if you're looking at web comics, there's a lot more variety in terms mm-hmm. of who's mm-hmm. publishing those kind of things. But it's one of those drafts where if we really start getting into that, we're opening the door to a lot of other picks, and so. I think we've kind of been zeroing in on the newspaper ones here just to have a tighter pool of options. Um, so into the fourth round then. Um, and at this point, I'm sort of looking to go for variety, right? So this is the, uh, the age old what's on draft question. Do you want a higher variety of picks or do you want to grab just the picks that you feel like are the top quality off the board. And I think since we're saying we're starting a newspaper here, uh, you know, the Paul times uh, wants to have some, uh, uh, some variety so that you're, you're getting your options here. So I tried to categorize big comic strips into some sections in terms of what they do. And one big section of comic strips is the soap opera comic strip, right? That is just about some sort of drama unfolding in someone's lives and it's um, sort of going forward. And there are some of these that have been running for a long time and some of them that are rerunning even though they don't have new strips. Sometimes they'll do this weird thing where they they just mix in old strips and new strips and it's Uh, It just seems like it would be very confusing to follow the timeline of what's happening, which is why, again, I mostly enjoy these through somebody else cracking jokes about them. Uh, But in in looking at um, sort of the soap opera strips, I feel like 
the ones I like the best are the ones that have the most unintentional, hilarious moments to them. And so I am going to go with uh, Mary Worth here, which is a comic strip about a um, an old lady who lives in a retirement center, Charterstone, and uh, mostly is very into gossip um, and sort of helping people. Like she's the the wise old retired ladies. Um, so this is a real legacy strip. It was started in the 1930s. At the time, Alan Saunders was the author, and it's gone through a number of illustrators. Uh, but Alan Saunders wrote the strip from 1938 to 1979. Um, and then recently, uh, we had um, Karen Moy take over in 2004, who has been writing it up to the present day. And they switched in 2016 illustrators. And it went from a very classic looking newspaper kind of style, like a little dated style to something that looks like a modern comic book. <laughs> so it was a very drastic change in um, artistic style. But um, this is one that just has uh, a, a very strange cast of characters. And like all newspaper comic strips, it handles important issues in a very ham-fisted way. And, you know, like it, there's an episode um, where you have sort of a... a um, like a beatnik who's getting into drugs and it's it's like to show that he's doing drugs he'll be like sweating profusely in the middle of a room and his thought bubble will be like oh, i just have to get through this day so i can take another hit or something and it's just like just so over the top ridiculous um there's a character named uh wilbur who is a comics curmudgeon favorite who's just sort of a portly balding fellow with glasses who somehow has all of these romantic trysts with different women um he almost gets engaged to one woman and then he gets conned by a young beautiful lady who uh wants says she wants to date him and uh then he he of course that doesn't work out so then there was a whole arc of him trying to get back with the girl that he dumped for the hot young girl uh yeah it's it's good old soap opera fun is that character's name wilbur or george costanza <laughs> very similar uh, very similar vibe for old, old Wilbur. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's just, it's got, and it's, it'll do a, a, this thing where, you know, Mary Worth is generally the center character, but the other characters will sort of come in and out of importance. So you'll have usually one big plot line happening at once. It'll follow that plot line for a while, but sometimes they'll, you'll just run into other characters like they often have parties at the retirement center. And if they show up to the party, you'll always see two or three other people hop in from past plots and things like that. And I think that's the, um, you know, if you're looking for why some of these newspaper comic strips are still running and why people probably follow them, despite the fact that, you know, a lot of these strips just aren't innovating anything new. They're cut, they're, they're retreading ground, but, they've covered a lot you know usually the characters don't age so they're just the same for decades and so you just sort of run out of things that you can do but i think what they end up doing is having this huge back catalog of information that you can bring in about characters and so it's like oh we're gonna see this character 
you know, we need someone to go scuba diving or whatever. And 10 years ago, we had a plot line about a scuba driving instru- instructor, and we haven't seen him at all since then. But since we need to scuba dive in this strip, we're going to have this dude come back. And if you've been reading this strip for 15 years, you can be like, oh, I remember when this guy was the central character. And so I, I, I feel like that's the appeal of a lot of these old soap opera comic strips. Also, I think I said scuba driving, which is a very different activity than scuba diving, which is what I intended to say. You, you did indeed. And I believe there is a James Bond movie that does feature some scuba driving. <laughs> oh, right. He has like the little thing that he holds on to, right? And it mm-hmm, propels mm-hmm. him through the water. Uh-huh. Uh, something that was not taken in our James Bond gadget episode but that that was a miss on my part yeah that's a good one should have been number one pick so i have with with how much media we're exposed to now i have a hard time remembering series that i watched last year so to remember a specific plot point from 15 years ago is asking quite a bit of your audience but uh good good on whoever remembered that one scuba scene (laughs) Uh, the guy who Josh, the guy who does the comics curmudgeon, he's that he's that guy he's because that guy. it's so I, you know I don't know if you're familiar with the website uh, TV tropes. Have have you seen it? So t- I, I think I think it's come up in research before. Okay, it, it TV tropes is famous in that they hyperlink previous articles a lot. So you know it'll like you'll read something it'll be like this is an example of this and it's similar to this and it's like four or five other things and it's just famous for people who go there to to read one article on it and then they'll get interested in something that's hyperlinked and they'll open it and pretty soon you'll have like 18 tabs open that's all just layers and layers into tv tropes of you like reading stuff like this and the comics curmudgeon is not to that level but the blog will always cite back and sometimes it'll cite back years and i don't know how he remembers to pull these links but he'll be like oh yeah this character who you know was in this episode or, you know i remember we joked about it in here in 2003 or whatever and just link to it and um i think he's mentioned before that he you know he just remembers that stuff and he um sometimes he'll be like yeah i was upset that i knew this character seemed familiar but i couldn't remember his name so i had to go digging to like figure out when he was on the strip before or something like that yeah it's it's uh i i don't have that memory um i'm not you know your seth mcfarlane's of the world that can pull out a rolodex of, of pop culture references but uh some people are and i think they get a kick out of this kind of stuff we are good at referencing our own episodes though this is true We're we gotta yeah synergy got to keep synergy going all right well that is my uh my soap opera strip and my plug for uh the comics curmudgeon which i think is the best way to read some of these legacy strips but uh what do you got here for the fourth round well i feel like you're giving me homework now paul because i (laughs) was not so organized in my my research but i shall now look for a possible soap opera strip to add For this one, I will go ahead and take what I held off on the previous round. And this, you you were talking about publishing on the web. I'm not sure if this one has has been published in paper uh, in any kind of 
syndicated way. I, I found it through Instagram, but it has appeared in book form as well. Typically just like a four panel. Uh, and the main characters are little aliens. And so they get to talk about all these things that humans do using terminology that is unfamiliar. And they're basically making uh, a, a cultural anthropo anthropological study of humanity and how strange we are. And I'm gonna take Strange Planet by Nathan W. Pyle here. Love, love this take on it. And it's kind of like Seinfeld with aliens in the way that he's just kind of picking out these small moments in a day and like, huh, that's weird that we do that. And just finding a way to write about it that's humorous. Yeah, this, I mean, I remember when this uh, sort of blew up, right? And it was, uh, I forget exactly how many years ago, but was something that went huge viral. Everyone was sharing in, in the early days of Strange Plan. I mean, he still has a huge following, but it was one thing that everyone was just constantly sharing different um, versions of this and one that, um, yeah, we enjoy a lot. And I remember, especially early in the pandemic, it was uh, a nice dose of light humor and humor that is sort of like, I don't know, like feel good, right? Mm -hmm. Humor, right? Like it's, it's all, it's never a joke at anyone's expense. It's like, here's a joke about this like shared experience that we all have. Um, and so there would be lots of times where uh, it would just be like, Elaine and I would talk to be talking to each other. Oh, did you read the strange planet today? Like, let me hand you my phone. So you could look at this joke. That's particularly uh, referencing, you know, something that's happening right now in our lives. And so um, I think he has a, a great format for um, uh, both the jokes as, and his humor just works so well at identifying that kind of stuff. that it's great. Um, Probably the most recent comic that we've got on the list right now. Oh yeah. I think by far, <laughs> I'm not, again, I, I don't remember what year he, um, he actually started it, but, uh, definitely, um, uh, gotta be what 2019 or something at the, er at the earliest. Um, so definitely, uh, I also recommend following Nathan on Instagram. Um, cause he posts, he, he has sort of either one-off jokes or things like that. Um, or some other strips that he does that are a little bit similar um, outside of Strange Planet. And they all have the same kind of vibe as his humor. But he also does this other thing where uh, it's every, I think it's on Saturdays. It's one day a week. He goes out, he, he's in New York and he goes out and he films pigeons on the street. And then he just overlays words and emojis over the pigeons to make like a little plot. Like he might put like a pizza emoji on the ground and make it look like the pigeons are having an argument over who gets to um, uh, who gets to eat the pizza or something like that. And it's just weekly pigeon drama that he <laughs> like play that he does. And there also um, was another thing that was a nice like, oh, it's 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 pigeon day. We get to see what the pigeons are up to. So with this artist, I now have my soap opera plot as well. Got there you go. Pigeon, the pigeon, opera. pigeon soap opera. I'm, you know, I'm just saying, there's a whole pigeon drama market out there that you're tapping into. 
as an artist though, you've got to be wary of such things because you don't want to get pigeonholed into one thing. Oh, <laughs> there's the there's the dad joke. This is why we've got to get the the phone recording working so we can have a soundboard and we can have a dad joke drop anytime <laughs> a dad joke is made. Just fire it up. What 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 would be the sound? You know, is it a groan? <laughs> Every time I tell a groaner, we need like a, oh, uh, that or just really over the top, like radio, you know, like, like satellite radio disc jockey intro where it's like, okay. <laughs> Right. We'll, okay. we'll work on we'll work on that drop all right should we we're through four like i said normally we sort of shoot for seven should we go ahead and do a do a little recap as as goes with tradition here sounds good all right well i'll kick it off and i have um uh the far side by gary larson peanuts by charles schultz the boondocks by aaron magruder and then mary worth Um, originally and through most of its run written by Alan Saunders and illustrated by Ken Ernst. Michael here with Bill Watterson, uh, who created Calvin and Hobbes, Art and Chip Sansom with The Born Loser, Ray Billingsley with Curtis, and Nathan Pyle with Strange Planet. All right. And I am back up and I'm going to try and get into another kind of category here, which is newspaper comic strips built around action plots, Um, which again, I think uh, I enjoy the most when they become unintentionally hilarious. Um, So there are some that are mostly just cheesy, but one strip that is just so over the top that it's sort of like watching a, a, movie right like if you were to watch the the cheesiest sort of 80s action movie you can find i think that would fit in with this strip so i am going to take dick tracy the newspaper comic strip um, which is another one that i need to look up the uh, original author because um, i think it's another one that just changed over recently so the original author was chester gold or chester gould not sure how um and he did all the art and writing but currently it is being written by mike curtis and illustrated by shelly pledger so uh but dick tracy of course the detective um it has a bunch of stuff that's tradition that's pretty funny now because it's supposed to be um, sort of technologically advanced, but like his super advanced technology is that he has a radio communicator in his watch um, that he talks to. So, uh, but I, you know, still set in sort of the, it's unclear when the year is, but they sometimes will just work in technology. So, you, but you still got Dick Tracy in his big yellow coat. Um, but the thing that I think really sells Dick Tracy is the villains in the strip which have ridiculous names. Um, If you look at the Wikipedia for Dick Tracy villains, um, he doesn't have a lot of recurring villains, right? So it's usually um, a villain will take up a a certain length of strip. So there's a lot of them. So if it goes back to the 1930s, 
And, um, you know, some of these decades probably have 50 to 60 villains in them running up to uh, the 2000s. And uh, normally the villains in Dick Tracy have a name that is a reference to uh, some crazy physical trait that they have or like their job or something like that. Like there's a recurring villain named Flattop who is called Flattop because the top of his head is flat. So obviously his name is Flattop. But uh, I'm just looking through the list here, right? And some names that kind of pop out to me are Uncle Punky, Mr. Bribery, uh, George Chinchiller, and not a Chinchiller. A nice couple from the 1960s there. Let's see. There is... I'm trying to find some of the ones that maybe I need to go more modern, but there's some that are just so, oh yeah, X-ray specs, um, which is someone who, as you might imagine, has very large uh, glasses with some technology built in. Spicy condiment, dastardly villain, if ever I heard one. Sawtooth, who has uh, sharp fangs, sort of a, a Jaws callback there. Let's see. Heartless Mahoney, who I believe was uh, like a, 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 a woman who sort of tried to while her ways into, to, you know, f- film noir sort of style, caused some trouble. Uh, but yeah, these are some some interesting characters. And traditionally, when they, the original authors were doing the show, all of the villains uh, would meet their demise in a very violent way dick tracy was really bad at arresting people and instead he would you know it would end up like a a car was flipped over and landed on top of them and then exploded and then rolled off a cliff like it would just uh, over the top layers and that's where i i say i think like cheesy 80s action movie like cobra or something level of we definitely killed this guy going on. So anyway, all that to say, I am going with Dick Tracy here. I, I wanted to look it up to be sure. I have seen a TV show version of Dick Tracy on Prime. And mm-hmm. it's from the, it's a live action series, I believe the from the 1930s starring Ralph Bird. So I've only watched a couple episodes of it, but uh, it exists And so I guess this is uh, one of those comics that took off and people were like, oh, this needs a show. There was also a, uh, there was a Dick Tracy movie. Yes, Um, starring Warren Beatty. Yes, that I think was, I can't remember the story. Warren Beatty like turned down something or really pushed for this when like there was something where it was, ended up being a huge mistake that Warren Beatty did the Dick Tracy movie that was a flop. I don't remember the specific story, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, a Sean Connery League of Extraordinary Gentlemen sort of scenario, I think. Yeah, where it didn't do something else and then did that. And yeah, but it is, it's interesting that there's just not a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a detective. It's a noir style. He wears a big goofy yellow coat. Um, so for this to be, you know, something that, has uh, sort of in, endeared for decades as it has, they had to have something to go with. And that is uh, having villains like 
Cruy Lou and the Sphinx or TV Wiggles um, out there committing some crimes and then getting <laughs> brutally and extrajudiciously murdered by Dick Tracy in a shootout. When I was listening to you read off that long list of villain names, I really wanted you to read it or have John Cena himself read it in the style of Peacemaker rattling off uh, <laughs> possible people that could have been, <laughs> been set up rather than his father. What other, who else could I have done? You could have done the Warlock and the Witch Game, Peaches to Cream, The Button, Jim Dondi, Smelt Pike, Miss Wrinkles, Kino the Great, Big Brass. Yeah, yeah, that for a full two minutes. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's plenty of names to to keep going. Pucker puss. <laughs> yeah, these are these are some characters, really. So uh, there you go. If you read my newspaper, you're gonna have no end of creative villains like Noodles Pinhead to look at. Yeah. Okay. This are if if we ever get to like 300 episodes, we just do a a monster draft, 300 picks every Dick Tracy villain. <laughs> that's 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 like saying so long to all our listeners. <laughs> no, what we do is we we make it a live stream, and it's for charity. Oh, okay. Then it works. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I've I've got I've got some action going on here now. Uh, let's see what you're going to to throw in here for the the fifth round. You know, I too need some action in my newspaper, and uh, there's nothing like a good superhero. But that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Nancy here, and there's a little article I found that said. The new Nancy strip is lit and has got people on the internet going crazy. That's what I want to hear about a strip that started in 1938 <laughs> by Ernie Bushmiller. And now it is being drawn by a woman who uses the, the pseudonym Olivia James. So Olivia James, don't know the actual name, but is the current artist on Nancy. I like the look of these characters. They have these dead eyes. It's just like pupils. Mm -hmm. There's no white of the eye. And it, there's something about that that is, I, I don't know. You, you can't look away. You're like, why? It looks like a person, but there's something, <laughs> little, something wrong here. A little uncanny know. valley going on. Maybe. But just in this one little panel, I like how... It, uh, angry Nancy looks. Uh, it's interesting that you said this is uh, taking off online because literally probably five minutes before we got on this call, I was looking at Twitter and somebody retweeted an account that the account is Nancy by Ernie Bushmiller and they just retweet comic strips that Bushmiller did from Nancy and I saved one of them on my phone because I thought it was clever um, oh. where Nancy sees a sign that says um, like, you know, planning ahead is, is important or something like that. And she goes, that's a great saying. Uh, you should always plan ahead. And I'm going to show you 
the risks of what happens if you don't. But as she's walking, the comic strips are, the panels are getting shorter and shorter because it's about to run out of room in the strip. And so on the last panel, it's it's so skinny that Nancy's like squashed into the, the tiny little box at the end because Ernie did not plan ahead on how to lay out the strips. And so um, I thought that was a, a pretty clever one. So just a little... Interesting that that coincided with you um, taking this pick and specifically referencing that it was um, popular online. Those visual gags like that, that you're utilizing the medium to its kind of highest level, that, that's, that's tops for me. I love that. Because, you know, in a movie, that's kind of hard to do something like that. You, you can't play with the mm-hmm. form. You can to a degree, but... I feel like actually playing with the frames and doing silly things like that. That's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw a comic that uh, was about COVID and social distancing and this person's hopping and skipping and they're headed toward their significant other. And then they see a sign about social distancing and then there's a blank space and then the next panel is the significant other carrying that panel away so that there's space between. <laughs> nice. Yes. I, I, yeah. I love stuff like that. And people have done so much creative stuff with use of space and things like that. Um, that, you know, I, I almost feel like uh, in the realm of television, um, Spider-Verse sort of played around in that same space, right. With the way that, the animation styles were blended and um, sort of played around with it like that. And so maybe we're going to see more creative stuff like that on screen to the extent that people can kind of, kind of figure it out. I am all for that. I love the way that the Spider-Verse looked. I am not excited about Chip and Dale. Yeah. Like that is not experimental and it's not even going to come close to who framed Roger Rabbit. I, I don't know why we're getting some movies that look like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have hopes for Chippendale just because of the people who are involved with it. Really? Yeah, the cast and that it's, the, um, it's the Lonely Island guys doing it, and most of the okay. stuff they put out is pretty okay. funny, and so that gives me hope. But we'll see. It doesn't look visually. It, it looks more confusing than interesting. <laughs> and that, so that, yeah that's what worries me um but there's got to be i mean it's so deliberate the fact that one of them is 2d and one of them is 3d that mm-hmm. there's got to be something plot wise going on so i think i don't know it'll be interesting to see maybe see one of them is. has had some character development and has jumped into three dimensions right yeah and the other <laughs> The other is stuck in their ways or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I'm I'm hopeful. But maybe it's just because uh, I'd rather it be a good movie. So until it's not, I'm going to hold out hopes. Uh, now we're getting into little little uncharted territory here. You know, uh, we were planning on a standard three person draft. Cameron uh, at the last minute uh, called, left us a big rant on the phone about how much he hates newspapers and. Uh, plans to to burn all the newspaper companies to the ground and salt the earth and so yeah we had to say okay well you know i wasn't i wasn't prepared you know mentally to discuss more than five picks but we're gonna have to do it 
So I'm going to go here with one that I think uh, came out. Um, yeah, so it came out 2001. So I remember this one premiering in the newspaper back when I routinely read the newspaper. And, uh, you know, I, I, I used to, that was my pattern, right? Was I would, we would get the newspaper and I would only read the comic strips and do the crossword. And that's like the only thing I interacted with, with the newspaper. Uh, and I remember taking a journalism class where, you know, the teacher asked like, what do you, what do you read in the paper? And nobody was really answering. And I was like, honestly, I just read the comic strip. And she was like, that's a good answer because like based on popularity, that's one of the most read parts of the newspaper and that's it. So, but yeah, so I used to read regularly. Um, I have not kept up with basically any of the strips outside of what's referenced on by other people um, since I no longer get a newspaper. Uh, but this one, I do remember coming out and remember it being like, okay, this is very different feeling from all of the other strips. Um, you know, it's, it's not one that I think is as different as something like the far side, but had kind of a cheeky humor. Sometimes it would do a little fourth wall breaking and actually draw the artist into the strip and the characters would go talk to him. But I'm going to take from cartoonist Stephen Pastis pearls before swine here. Um, so featuring a small group of animals, uh, primarily a mouse, a pig and a goat and just had had some had some funny gags and i um uh you know the mouse would often be angry at something that was going on and the pig would be kind of clueless and um i just remember it's in our paper really only had like the big well-known ones right like the the local newspaper here it was like um hagar and um uh the family circus and that kind of stuff. It's like a lot of those real legacy strips. And so this one to be something that was like new and different, I was like, okay, like I, I really got into it in my daily comic strip reading. So I will go with pearls before swine. This is not one that I regularly read, but I can remember the art style and it's, it's boiled down to, the essentials if i'm if i'm right it doesn't have kind of an even line weight for each of the characters mm -hmm. yeah it's not quite as simplified as some strips um you know there's some strips that are just real kind of minimalist but yeah this one uh is is good and like i said there was uh every once in a while they'll do a strip where there's a particularly cheesy gag or something and the mouse will stomp off the screen and go beat up uh steven pastis who draw drew himself into the comic strip um and i was you know that was just interesting there weren't there weren't other strips that were being published in the the arkansas newspapers that were doing stuff like that and so it was a uh, for me a refreshing change of pace and so i always kind of look fondly at it um in terms of newspaper strips I, I think I like the uncolored version better. Mm -hmm. It's the weekly. Oh, here's a very early 2000s joke where uh, the pig's sister is calling and says, my friend and me are going to the movies. And he says, I think it's I, not me. And she goes, huh? And he goes, I, sis, I, sis. And then it cuts to 
the NSA listening in and then the FBI coming to an arrest arrest him because he's talking about ISIS on the phone. So very that's a very early 2000s does not get much more early 2000s than that in terms of humor. Just the fact that they got to that joke through grammar correction. You 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 have a very specific audience that you're trying to read. I mean, that's the other thing with newspaper strips, right? Is that so many of them are very clearly, uh, and they have to produce so much content. I mean, they, you know, new daily strips at least six days a week. Sometimes Sunday is a new strip. Sometimes it's like a rehashing of the weekly. So six to seven new strips, like every day for the entire time your strip is running or every week for the entire time your strip is running. So there's always very clearly those ones where they had a joke or they had something they needed to reference and they just worked backwards. Mm -hmm. And so the setup is just the most ridiculous, you know, it involves somebody speaking in a manner that no person would ever, (laughs) would ever phrase a sentence in that way or like structure a sentence just so they can get to some pun or something at the end. But um, I think if you, you know, if you regularly read newspaper strips, you just kind of get used to that and let it slide because you know what the production process has to be like for them to get all of these strips out. Again, this is a, a quality versus quantity argument here. <laughs> <laughs> quality will suffer. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. All right. Well, there's still a few big names out there. Are you going to take any of them off the board? I don't know. I, I'm struggling here trying to pick something that I enjoy and something that kind of rounds out my team. You've done a nice job of kind of picking cartoons for different seg- segments here, uh, kind of reaching different audiences. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with a pick that kind of falls in line with Born Loser, uh, but it's from the opposite point of view. It's the kid, and I'm taking zits here, created by Jerry Scott and Jim Borgman, and it has been running since 1997. Working with teenagers, I feel like this one's relevant. As, as a young adult reading the comics, I found them funny. Uh, but, you know, I, I would like to see more current strips that have been run and see how they're keeping up with today's youth. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is one um, that, yeah, I, I remember this was one of the ones that I would I would frequently uh, have high on my list of like, OK, I'm going to start with these ones when I read the, the strips in the comic or whatever. Uh, and I feel like it's one of those ones that sort of suffers from the fact that the characters never age and eventually you kind of run out of uh plots to do in high school you know um i think did they like progress them to college at some point i think um i think they might have like gone to college eventually um but yeah it's it has some stuff like i think they did one recently where someone was going out to like a a first date or something like a coffee date and they were wearing a suit. So not entirely up on (laughs) modern culture, I feel like, but 
Uh, yeah, I, I have fond memories of some of the gags in this one. Maybe they are way up on modern culture and we don't know, Paul. That's we true. don't know that the suit is back. <laughs> uh, you know, people have been cooped up indoors, throw on a good suit, go out for a cup of coffee. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe it made a comeback uh, when people could coordinate their suits with their masks and just a chance to show off your style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, people uh, were spending less on face product, and so they got to put more back into their wardrobe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There you go. We'll see. Next time I'm uh, grabbing a cup of coffee, I'll see if I see anyone see anyone on a date rocking the rocking the suit. You go up to him. It's just like a vendor. <laughs> you on a coffee date? No. No. We're having a work meeting. Get out of here. <laughs> Hi, I'm Paul with What's on Draft Research. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna put it in. We're gonna put it into. It's just me uh, bothering people at a coffee shop and them yelling at me to go away and be like, "All right, here's what I discovered." It's just gonna be some totally embarrassing content i bet we could get cameron to go up to perfect strangers and ask questions (laughs) that's true of the three of us he would be the most comfortable and and likely to handle something like that we might be able to to do some sort of uh, billy on the street version of this show (laughs) (laughs) cam on the street Well, that's what it'll help him in his uh, vendetta against newspapers to produce some more audio content, take down these big, big ink conglomerates. You know, he's just such an environmentalist. He wants to save the forests. He's he's tired of all these uh, all these trees being torn down and uh, used for, you know, people reading one or two things and then chunked in the trash. Me, on the other hand, very anti-tree. That's why I'm launching this newspaper. I want to actually have thicker pages so that we cut down more trees. Paul is not a fan of the Lorax. <laughs> I am uh, the villain from Fern Gully. That's who I am. That came up recently. Someone was asking about that movie and if it was if it was scary and I believe that one is one of the more traumatizing childhood uh, movies. Yeah, the the logger truck and everything in it is pretty frightening looking. And there's something... There's like black ooze stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that movie. And it's... Uh, I didn't realize it was, it was earlier than I thought. It's like early 90s. And so I didn't... Um, did not realize. I thought it was sort of... N- later in the 90s because i remember watching it so much but oh they they were asking about the toaster movies oh like the brave little toaster Uh uh-huh and uh my reaction toward those i was like yeah i think i remember them being very intense and was that on the pod that that happened i feel like this conversation is familiar well, I mean, we may have talked about it. We have drafted so many things, but this was a, a student asking me. Okay. I guess it, the Brave Little Toaster came up in something recently. Well, maybe it's been circul- circulating on the web and they came maybe. across it too. But uh, they, they were traumatized by it, talking about the vacuum. And uh, 
I was like, yeah, I don't remember much about it, but it's one of those that kind of thinking about it felt like it was too much for young Michael. <laughs> I don't know what age I was when I first saw it. With your little kids, Paul, do you find that a lot of the movies that we grew up with, are, are they good with them or are they too intense? They, um, they're pretty good with a lot of films. Um, there was kind of this period where they would not be afraid of anything unless you told them they should be afraid of something. And they would just watch it and be like, I have no sense that, you know, this is wrong. I'm just going to watch it. Um, but honestly, the thing that upsets them the most in movies is like somebody getting in trouble. So mm. if people are having like an emotional argument, sometimes our oldest daughter will just literally run out of the room and be like, I don't want to watch people be upset at each other. But mm -hmm. if it's like a monster or something like that, then uh, not much of a concern. Huh. See, that's, that's, that's exactly what I was wondering. I was wondering if it was kind of a learned thing and that the response was more as an adult to these movies rather than, from a kid's point of view. Yeah, I feel like that's, hmm. that is. Uh, recently, so the other night, um, they watched uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah. And loved it so much that, so they watched it at my mom's house and they came back and were like, can we watch it again today? We're like, yeah, cool. sure. So they watched it. So, and they also really liked uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. So mm -hmm. got some studio, studio Ghibli fans growing here, but uh, our middles, our four-year-old, she asked if she could watch it. And I was like, yeah, like we got to finish putting up lunch and then, you know, you can maybe watch it. And so in the 20 minutes it took us to get ready to watch the movie, she spent the entire time basically just sprinting in circles around the house yelling, Totoro, Totoro. <laughs> so uh, extreme fan of Miyazaki there in our, uh, our four-year-old. <laughs> Well, I'm excited for that, but don't let this child watch Ponyo. <laughs> we will not. Yeah, that is not, you, you do not want to hear Ponyo wants ham <laughs> screamed at the top of their lungs. Uh, yes, it is, that is the danger. Uh, all right, well, final round here. Um. I'm sort of torn between if I want to go all um, newspaper uh, or mix in a web comic here. And the other thing is I would like to get a female artist on my team. But again, it's a, a situation where there's just not as many. And I don't, I don't like the strips as much so i think oh let's see i think i'm i think i'll just stick all newspaper because that's where i've gone and i think the online strip i'm thinking about does some creative stuff online that would be a little bit limited in the newspaper world so I think I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to try to mix a female artist in here. And I'm going to go with one that uh, is not one that I 
remember reading a lot, but when I've seen more stuff on, which is written by cartoonist Lynn Johnston, and that is for better or worse, which is another one of these sort of uh, slice of life comic strips that follows um, a family, but it has been running from 1979. And it's another one that has picked up uh, picked up a whole lot. So I think it went through, yeah, it went through 2008. Uh, and they're still running it, but it's just sort of, um, they're running old strips for it. But uh, it's one of those ones that did build up a lot of that big backstory. And so there was things that happened to the characters in the strip a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to give, uh, make sure we got, um a female artist who'd been doing this for a while into the mix here uh, of our so far very male draft so for better or worse or for better or for worse sorry that's the title of the strip this is not one that i am familiar with but it's been around for a long time yeah it is a little more um it's a lot less cartoony in the style so it's drawn a um, little bit more realistic look um, to the people, although they do have uh, sort of the opposite of the Nancy dead eyes. They have uh, very large whites on their eyes. So the eyes are uh, the most cartoony feature on the faces of the characters. They're pretty large, but it's um, about a, a large family and they've got, um, uh, I think it predominantly seems to focus on um, the mom of the family, but works in things about her husband and then their parents are around. So you've got grandparents um, involved. And I think this is another one that was turned into a TV show at hmm. some point. Um, so I'm looking up that. Uh, it was, it was a show from 2011 to 2017 oh no this is not the comic strip this is just a show with the same name. um that is a tyler perry show so that's uh very different but i swear i've seen animation of the strip anyway that we don't need to we don't need to have me googling that forever but yeah lynn johnston um set in canada um, so it's set in uh, um, Toronto, I believe, and um, the Patterson family is the family that it follows. So got ourselves uh, some Canadian influence and some female influence here with this pick. Very good. Well, you know, you would think that we've stalled long enough for me to settle on something for my last pick here, <laughs> but I've not come to a conclusion here. Okay, so well, here is something I'm just learning about for better or for worse. While you're while you're making a selection, is um, see, it was a finalist for a, a Pulitzer. It had a storyline in the '90s about a character coming out um, that was controversial. So there was sort of some. Uh, anti-gay protesting against uh, the strip and newspapers that carried it. Um, and it looks like it is based on 
um, a friend of theirs who uh, was uh, was gay and also was murdered in the 90s. And it looks like the murder was not related to uh, their friend's homosexuality, but they decided to um, break some ground in the strip uh, to cover that. Um, as sort of uh, part of, you know, honoring his his legacy. And so um, did not realize that it, you know, this was 93. So I, w- I was six and obviously not paying attention to drama in the newspaper uh, publishing world, but did not know that this was um, something to strip in. I'm trying to find uh, some strips that are more, like the soap opera or continuous storyline. And there are so many here that are beautiful, but mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with them and don't know kind of the plot lines that they cover. But one that looked especially interesting is Secret Agent X9. It says uh, genius noir author Dashiell Hammett co-created X9 with Flash Gordon father Alex Raymond. And from 1967 to 1980, this comic strip uh, was written by Archie Goodwin and drawn by Al Williamson, who also handled the Daily Star Wars strip. And it was uh, referenced in episodes of Columbo and Rocky and Bullwinkle. Interesting. Yeah, this is not uh, one that I have heard of, but it's got uh, the, pa- I mean, the panels have a super interesting pulpy feel, right? Mm-hmm. Like more this sort of noir earlys, yeah. High contrast. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of nice use of black in the panels. Yeah, and then very over the top action kind of covers. I'm seeing one where a propeller engine plane is uh, firing at a bunch of people in suits in a field. And then there's uh, someone holding a gun at the bottom, like just lots of, well, this one's just a person getting exploded. That's always good. Yeah, they're, they're getting exploded. And then it says high pressure deadline at the top of <laughs> secret agent X nine chapter seven, high pressure deadline. I would say, you're getting bombed by an airplane that is a high pressure deadline. <laughs> that's that's like the Arnold Schwarzenegger lines right there. That's terrible. I guess I guess uh, James Bond had some terrible one-liners too after killing people. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, this is um, this is it. This is an interesting uh, poll. I feel like um, this is in the same vein as my Dick Tracy pick. And um, while not familiar with it, I mean, everything you're looking at, it's a King Features. So, you know, there's a big syndicate behind it. And then you've got, um, uh, you know, everything you listed as sort of uh, inspiration for it is something that I enjoy. So I feel like there's probably some good, uh, some good stuff in here. This is the only kind of realistic looking comic that i've drafted yes it is very um very straightforward sort of in the the animation nothing cartoony about uh about the people here there's something so impressive about artists that could just knock out 
things that look like this in the time span that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. I mean, having to both, and I guess that's why a lot of these ones that are um, something that's more continuous like this, you tend to have both an author and an illustrator Mm -hmm. because you have to keep the plot in check. Whereas um, the daily strips, you have someone kind of doing both. Um, I don't know. Usually it seems like the humor ones, you definitely have one person doing both. um, And then this, so that's, yeah, that's very interesting. One thing that is pretty common with the newspaper strips and, you know, comic books as well, is that there's a company that does all the coloring for the strips. And um, that can be a little hit or miss, especially since not all newspapers will run stuff in color, even strips mm-hmm. that are, you know, colorized. Uh, <laughs> but occasionally you'll see a, a situation where clearly the colorist just ignored what was in the panel and, you know, they're probably cranking out a ton of strips. So I'm sure it's a sort of a crunch atmosphere, but it'll be very obvious. Like the, the entire joke will hinge on something being green and the colorist just colored it in yellow or something like that. And it could be a situation where they're like, well, if I color it green and it's running in a bunch of strips that aren't printing color, it's going to look worse in black and white. So I need it to be a lighter shade so that it contrasts to everything else. And you can tell what it is in black and white or whatever. Um, And so uh, those, those are always really funny. Just thinking about um, to get these things produced at the speed and the, the amount that they do to have it um, uh, you have to have such a big team of people working on it and, and putting their hands on it that, there's lots of interesting ways that things can go wrong by the time you get to the end. I, I had no idea that they handed it off to just a third party. You would think that they would turn in fully rendered artwork mm-hmm. and then it would just be up to someone to set up the, the, the printing presses to yeah. make it happen. But uh, it is interesting also to see when things have not been registered correctly. And you just, <laughs> because a lot of times they're using the half toning to create different colors. Mm-hmm. And so if something's off, you get a lot of uh, problems. Yeah. yeah. It's some psychedelic comic strips that you didn't intend. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up our, our teams of papers here. Um, why don't we give it a, a quick pitch and then we can tell the listeners where to go vote and since i had the first pick i'll kick it off here so uh for my team i i tried to put together um a group of cartoonists that um, were kind of diverse and and ranged from uh the early days of newspaper comic strips up to a couple that are a little bit more modern and also tried to have a range of content in those strips um and so uh, i'll just read off the comic strips here because i think people are probably a little bit more familiar with those but my paper is going to be running uh the far side peanuts the boondocks mary worth uh, dick tracy pearls before swine and then for better or for worse my picks have less structure to them but are enjoyable nonetheless we've got the famous calvin and hobbs the Born Loser, Curtis, Strange Planet, Nancy, Zitz, and Secret Agent X-9. 
So we got a wide, wide variety here as well. I did a very poor job on the draft board of remembering whether I was listing the comic strip or the cartoonists first. Yes, so I, had to, I had to carefully read those. Requires some thought as you go down the board. Uh, I attempted to write the cartoonists and then eventually we started talking about the strip so much that I subconsciously started listing the strips first, I guess. Yes. I don't know. So I was subconsciously trying to booby trap me. <laughs> that's right. I wanted to make sure that the voters said, I didn't really like that recap. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Paul's team on the vote here. All right. But anyway, listeners, that is right. We need you to vote. Uh, if you were going to, you know, get a subscription to a newspaper based solely on the comic strips being printed in it. Uh, which one of our two teams would you go with? You can vote on the Spotify mobile app. If you're already on Spotify, you just scroll down. The vote is right there. If you are on something else, but you're on your phone, we have a link in the description. You click on it. It opens up Spotify and takes you to where you can vote. Just click on the episode and uh, get that for us. So um, in honor of National Cartoonist Day, the other thing you can do is share this. Uh, get your friends' opinions on what cartoonists they like, what comic strips they want to read, because we want to hear what they're into. So give this episode a share or dig into our back catalog. We drafted everything from candy to movie actors to toys. So there's something in the back catalog for everyone. Give it a listen and uh, share it with your friends. So, uh, Mike, we have some big names that we didn't take off the board so i know there's some alternates we can throw out here um were there any that you were close to drafting i thought about garfield Mm -hmm. seriously giving some jim davis some consideration i love the line work in garfield so clean it looks like it's uh done with a brush just how he gets the nice thick thin lines and I don't know. There's something about the character Garfield, though, especially in the, the animated versions that I'm not super fond of. <laughs> so I kind of steered away from that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, I think the most record setting in terms of number of prints and, and number of newspapers it's in syndication with. Oh. Um, I think it might be the top or in, in Guinness or something for that. So uh, it's definitely a, a big name. And uh, one that, you know, that's a recurring thing that happens in the show is that we tend to sometimes just all avoid the most obvious picks. (laughs) I feel like Garfield falls into that. Uh, Blondie. um, I mentioned mentioned Hagar a few times or um, Beetle Bailey, uh, another one that's been around forever. And um, could have been in consideration i think once i had uh the far side and peanuts i i sort of tabled a lot of those really legacy comics like that right like i wanted to Mm -hmm. mix in some variety and a lot of them i feel like have a a very similar vibe to them that i didn't want to to get into right a lot a lot of those probably developed around the same time Mm-hmm. and uh similar humor yeah so i think you're wise to to differentiate here and spread out 
uh, Dennis the Menace, um, another mm-hmm. one of those legacy ones that I like. There's just a recurring thing in, in the comics curmudgeon where they talk about how unmenacing Dennis is that very few strips actually involve any menacing behavior. And so, <laughs> um, you know, he'll like the whole gag will just be like Dennis is saying a pun. Be like, this is not menacing at all. This is like what the family circus does. It's not, <laughs> there is no menace in this behavior. So I like, I like the jokes about it more than I like the strip itself. Even in the movie, Dennis the Menace, I, I find that he was a sweet kid who just in his misadventures caused havoc. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he was yeah. truly a menacing child. No, he was not uh, overly problematic or anything. Yeah, the the one um, that I uh, thought about drafting at the end, but then decided to go all comic book was XKCD. XKCD oh, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Online comic. Uh, but it's um, another one where he, you know, he plays around not just with uh, the strip itself and like, you know, obviously it's very simple stick figures. Uh, but plays along with the fact that it is a digital strip sometimes. Um, like there was one, he published a comic, the strip, I think the title is just Time. And it was a really simple looking strip. It didn't really even have a joke in it, I think, at first. And so we put it up and people were like, okay, that's that's interesting. And then 30 minutes later, it shifted a little bit. And then it turns out he had set it up to shift every 30 minutes for years. And if you put everything together, it was an animation about time changing and, you know, evolution, all this other kind of stuff happening that was like deep and had all these characters and references to itself and stuff like that. But you had to watch it. And so people like, you know, had pages set up where they just monitored it and discussed what changed every 30 minutes. And so um, stuff like that you cannot put into a newspaper, obviously. So I feel like, um, you know, you took Strange Planet and that's one that if he published that in a newspaper, it would, I think it would work great. Like it would, mm-hmm. everything would translate well. Some online strips just don't translate as, as mm-hmm. well to print um, as that would. And so um, that is one um, that I think would fall in that category. That's so impressive to set up something like that. And I just don't even know how you would begin to plan that out. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, I guess that's something you can do once you're successful enough that you can do full time and into something creative. Um, mm-hmm. But thinking about trying to work that in to, uh, um, while doing everything else that life requires that's uh Mm -hmm. that's a lot well this has been a subject that's you know near and dear to me i love cartooning and i want to plug a couple things here related to comics so i've been using hoopla in order to read some comics that i don't own and there's just so much out there it's hard to find them even at the library. So if you all have a library card, uh, you might have free access to Hoopla and I would recommend that. So I just finished uh, a 
a comic today, actually, that was, uh, I was listening and reading along with uh, All Crap, a Hellboy podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Mm -hmm. So you can check that out. And then I wanted to also say that uh, if you're interested in how comics are made, Elsa, I'm going to butcher her last name here. So it's Elsa Chartier, and she is a French comic artist, but she has been going through comics that she loves and enjoys, uh, ones that are historically important, and kind of diagramming and breaking them down into why they work and how they're telling the story through a series of panels. And sometimes she even uh, shows how she would do the page if she were to reinvent this thing. So if you all are interested yeah. in that, go check out her uh, YouTube series about comics. Yeah, I will uh, link both of those in the, uh, in the description to the episode so that if anyone is interested, they can check it out. Um, so that'll be uh, down below here. But in terms of comics and cartoonists, I think that wraps us up uh, for this episode. So listeners, thanks for tuning in. And we hope that you have enjoyed our colorful commentary and not thought that our conversation was too drawn out. Dad joke. This has been another episode of What's on Draft. Draft.